This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen, President of World Ministries International, as well as Eagles Saving Nations. I want to welcome you to the Warning Program. Check out Eagles Saving Nations and WMI, worldministries.org, worldministries.org. We're in our college chapel. We hold a service every week for the staff of World Ministries International and their families. This is a live audience with children. I have with me Reverend Maria Moore. I think you're going to enjoy how the Lord speaks through her. Maria? Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you all. God is doing such a great thing in the Northwest, and I'm so glad to be a part of it. I'm Washingtonian native, and I love coming back into this area. Now we're living in Texas, where our son is, but we're really happy to be here. I want to share with you today out of the book of Ruth, and I want to bring a revelation out of it about restorative fire, about the whole purpose and the plan of God. I think that this book is one of my favorite books that shows what John 10.10 reveals. John 10.10 is where it talks about where the devil has come to kill, rob, and destroy, but I have come to give life and life more abundantly. And in this story, we see how the enemy had robbed from these women and how there was a kinsman redeemer that came in and not only restored what was lost, but even brought them into a greater heritage. It is one of the great stories in the Bible about recovering from trauma. So I'm going to weave just a little bit of teaching into the story about how to recover from trauma. In the book of Ruth, it starts out that there's a famine in the land. It's not just a natural famine, but there was a famine of revelation in the land. It was during the time of Judges, and there was very little word of the Lord or revelation. And so Ruth and her family, her husband and her sons, moved to Moab to find food. While they were there, the boys married a couple of girls but her husband died, and then both of her sons died in Moab. And so she is at a loss. A woman in this time was really at the whims of a culture. There was really no provision for women in Moab. I'm sure it would have been difficult. So she decides to return to Israel. She goes back to Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. If you understand biblical symbolism, the house of bread talks about the word of God. It's about having a revelation. So she goes back to where she knows that's the land that she's from, that's her home city. But she goes back to Israel. But she's in poverty. She's had to sell her land along the line. It doesn't show in the story exactly when she does, but it says that Naomi, the widow, sells her land. And so she's got nothing and they need provision. So as she decides to go back to Bethlehem, she tells her two daughters to go back to Moab, that there's no provision for them. She doesn't have a child within her, which would be a provision in the Israeli culture where they can marry a younger brother and provide that way. There was nothing, there was no resource. They would have been Gentiles and enemies of Israel moving back there. And she just knew that her girls would be subject to poverty, really bleak future, probably never being married and always having to work very, very hard, which was their custom. They think that probably these people were migrant workers. They worked in the fields. That's why they went there. And that's how they get a provision when they go back to Bethlehem. Ruth, her daughter-in-law, which is the name of the book, 
she goes into the fields to glean, to get a resource. With her nobility and staying with her mother, she will not go back to Moab as requested, but she stays with her mother-in-law and she commits to her, the people, and her God. We see God's provision of food in that, and then she also meets the man of her dreams, Boaz, and Boaz becomes her kinsman redeemer. They marry, and then they have a child, and through that lineage comes David, and then eventually Jesus Christ. And so, like I said, this is a book that's more than just a book about restoring, but God's ultimate plan. When Jesus comes to the earth, he not only wants to give us everything that we lost when the first Adam fell, when this whole world went into destruction and not the plan of God, but he wants to give us even more. So Jesus comes to give us life, and life more abundantly. It's not just getting what you've lost, but even a greater thing. One of the biggest things that's on the heart of God in restoration is that we would come to know him in a personal way. That restorative power draws us into fellowship with him, which is eternal life according to scripture. It's knowing God. So we see that God not only meets the needs of these women, but provides a generational blessing into the whole world. The Messiah comes out of this whole narrative. Now, I just want to talk to you a little bit about Naomi. Naomi is the mother-in-law, the woman who had lost her husband and children. She has a broken heart, and it's really understandable to see that. She had land that had to be sold. She had a husband and sons, and they were all gone. So when she goes back to Bethlehem, she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant or delightful. Call me Myra. And that means bitter. And it's not who Naomi was. Naomi was a pleasant woman. She really knew the ways of God. I doubt very much that Ruth would have committed to a culture that she didn't understand and a people she didn't know unless Naomi carried the life of God. As a matter of fact, when she tries to send her daughter-in-laws away, she says, may the Lord God Almighty bless you and keep you as in the household of your husband. So she was sending her away with the goodness of God. So that was in her, but her pain spoke louder in this situation where she says, you know, I went away full and I've come back empty. God is against me. He's not for me. And as we know, because we've read the end of the story and we know God's point of view of this was that the enemy stole, but God was going to give her more than what she lost. And so it's just her pain that's screaming at her. And there's just times in our lives when our pain screams louder than what we know about God. In those times, we get this fable theology and we blame God for our trouble. We attribute God the attributes of Satan. Satan was the one that came in to kill and rob and destroy in this story. It wasn't God. Sometimes in our pain, we'll get it confused and we'll say, why God? You know, what have I done? You're, you're mean to me. You've turned against me. And it's not the truth, but that's what we feel. The way to get out of that is to return to Bethlehem, to go back to the house of bread, to go back to the word of God. Nowadays, the psychologists have a name for it, but it's a strong biblical principle. What happens in this, where you see the, at the end of the story that Naomi is just incredibly blessed, it's a term that they call post-traumatic 
growth, where it's not only that you go back to where you were before your trauma, but you go beyond it. You gain skill, you gain knowledge, you even gain uh, more than what you've lost. Just, and we see this in this book, we see it in the book of Job. Jesus says it to the disciples as they're going into Passion Week. He says, you're gonna be incredibly sad but you're going to be like a woman who has pain in childbirth. And in the end, you're going to have a brand new life. And so it's, it's a strong biblical narrative that we can grasp in times of trouble, that God is for us and not against us, and, and that we can be assured, even when we're blind with pain, that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. What that is, is, is when, as we, we work through this, is we, we just learn to trust in the word of God when we're blind with pain. We need to let the word be what it is. It's like a mirror so that we can see what manner of man we are. James talks about this in the New Testament where he's, he's talking about, you know, like doing right and stuff. And he says, you need to, you need to gaze intently. It's, it's beyond even a study of the word of God. It's a meditation and it's a ruminating with the word of God. It's a talk with, with the Lord. Like I said, in the book of Ruth, she said that the, 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 the Bible says that it was a time where the word of the Lord was scarce and revelation was pretty much non-existent. But we need, to, we need to come into that fellowship with the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us in all truth. How many of you know that there's people that have studied the Bible and they've gotten it all wrong? They haven't submitted to the great teacher. Even in her pain, she was getting it all wrong. And you could probably find chapter and verse to support her opinion that God was against her. Um, because she'd made some mistakes, their family had made some mistakes, and like, who hasn't? But, <laughs> but you know, it's important that we let the Word of God be our reality. When we gaze into that perfect law of liberty, which is what it says in James, uh, we understand what manner of man we are, and we're not sinners, we are saints. When we look into the law of liberty, we see Jesus Christ, our righteousness, and we know that we've confessed our sin and it's over. We don't have to keep saying, sorry, sorry, sorry. We have an identity that's true and real. You know, a lot of people, they, it, it, there's a common saying right now that says, well, that's your truth. I'm sorry, but when, when people are saying that about things that are obviously not true, like gender dysphoria, where people think they're, they're something they're not. That's not truth. It may be their reality. They may think it because of the things that they've experienced and the conclusions they've come with that experience, but it's not truth. And we need to, as Bible-believing believers, as we go into situations, as things, as our culture, as we corporately go into dark times, as we're in today, and, and we know that there's, there'll be more trouble as the days approach. And personally, as we're facing crisis, we can't let our reality define what's true. We have to believe the Word of God we need to look carefully to believe the image we see. The word is alive, as we know. I, I have different pictures uh, in when I do this by PowerPoint, but there's a girl sitting reading the word of God, and it's illuminated in front of her. And then beyond that, on the other side of it, there's the lion sitting 
on the other side speaking, the line of Judah. And we just need to understand that the word is alive and living and it's not subject to our opinions. It's not subject to our circumstances as to what is true in it. We need to let the word speak by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that we can get to this place where we can get our heart and our mind aligned, we're, we're body, soul, and spirit, but where our, our body and our soul connect, it's where our mind is. It's not just our brain or gray matter, but it's all of our senses and the chemicals in our bodies and the, the environment we're relating to and the conclusions that we draw, that's what makes the mind. The you know, we, we can experience things and then come to a human conclusion or even based in the Bible, but basically a human conclusion. And then in our heart, our heart is where our soul and our spirit connect. And that's where the deep emotions are. That's where our intuition is. That's where our will is. And that is where the Holy Spirit connects and gives us faith. It says that with the heart you believe. So your mind can understand one thing. You can have really good doctrine, but unless your heart is in agreement with that doctrine, you're not going to manifest the kingdom of God because our whole being has to align and agree and be fully persuaded with the will of God for it to manifest. I can explain it easy this way with something that we would all be accustomed to. Two men sitting in the service, the first time they hear the gospel, one, one man says that's just a joke and he doesn't, his natural reasonings he rejects the gospel. The other man believes it and he thinks it's probably okay. Um, actually, there'll be three men, and, but his heart condemns him. He's done too much. God really doesn't want him. It's over for him. And then there's a third man who understands the gospel and thinks it's reasonable and wants it. And his heart accepts the message of forgiveness and restoration. And so from his heart, the Holy Spirit, when we understand, when we hear the Holy Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit's view on the gospel, amen? amen. So when we hear the voice of God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the breath of God. Yeah, we preach the gospel and there is a speech to it. And when we confess with our mouths, there's, there's a latent ability of our, our human spirit and also an agreement. There has to be an agreement with the Holy Spirit. But I mean, we can speak things and they can have some, some merit to it, some shifting. But when we hear the voice of God, when we hear the Holy Spirit saying a thing and declaring a truth, and out of our heart we believe it, that's the verb form of faith. And then out of our mouth we confess Jesus as Lord, we get saved. Well, that's the same way the promises manifest. You know, the promises don't make any sense. They, they violate uh, natural reasonings and earthly laws. But God comes along with a greater revelation and a greater truth. He's not violating his laws, but he's, he's showing us a greater way, a better way. It's like when Jesus found that woman caught in adultery. He wasn't saying that that was okay. He agreed with the law of Moses in that, but he had another law that was much greater than that. It was the law of grace. And so that's the way we come into the things of God is that we, we agree with the opinion of the Holy Spirit. We lay down our own opinions about what God can and can't do with our lives. And we allow the Holy Spirit to love, live large in our lives and increase our sphere of influence.
So back to these women that are got a trouble with their heart. The way that you fix your heart is you don't stuff it. You don't stuff your problem. You confess to God what's bugging you. He already knows. There's Psalms are full of this type of prayer. It's called a lament. And I want to just teach you a way to pray in crisis so that you can get healed and not get sick. You know, because if you stuff it, you're going to get sick. Even if you're forgiving somebody, if you don't acknowledge that, you stay in that stress hormone, you stay caught in that PTS is what they call it now, where you just keep going over and over and over in your trauma. You don't stuff it, but you confess it before Lord. You give him your complaint. I'll let you look at it because the time is short. We're not going to go into it, but there's Psalms 13, which shows you exactly how to pray this prayer. I'm going to give you the three points three places that need to go into your prayer. It's your complaint. It's your request. What do you want God to do about it? What is it that you're petitioning him for? You need to put that in there. And then you have to step into trust or faith, thanksgiving. There's all kinds of ways that we can verbalize a positive confession over it, uh, whether it's a declaration or, a, you know, you, you go into thanksgiving and worship some of the darkest hours that i've been in i went into radical praise and worship over there was a season when dennis is, uh, was looking at cancer he's fine he's cancer free you don't have to worry about him but in the time when we had the diagnosis but we didn't know how it was going to work out you know i went into radical praise and worship and I just declared the glory of God and his faithfulness and his ability to do great and mighty things. I didn't know how it was going to work out. I didn't know, you know, it looked like, you know, I mean, in the time, because there was a delay in treatment, it looked like it could be a really bad outcome. And, and I just decided to put all my nursing knowledge, 40 years of nursing, you know, and I just put it aside. And I agreed with the greater law. God is our healer. God is faithful. God is true. Now, we didn't ignore medicine. God works through medicine. Amen. And through alternative, you know, herbs and vitamins and supplements. But but ultimately, we're just managing symptoms. Healing comes from God. Amen. Healing comes from God. And so we receive it, Lord, in our in our hearts and in our lives so that we can glorify the son of God. This is why he died is to bring us life and life more abundantly. Amen. John 10, 10. And we need to appropriate these things. As and glorify the Son of God. It's not just to get, it's not a selfish thing. It's not just to get us free from pain. It's to glorify the Son of God. And we just need to appropriate it because it's the just thing to do that Jesus died on, on the cross and he rose from the grave so that we would have life and life more abundantly. John 10, 10. So you make your request and then you trust. That's what we already did. Yeah. And so back to Naomi with her broken heart. Her heart was shattered. And what happens when you have a broken heart? The reason why people stay in PTS is nobody wants to be undone. When you have a shattered heart, you just don't stay in that condition. No one does. We, we're, we're too vulnerable. We're too upset. We can't function. So what we do is we start putting, we start stuffing things in the cracks of our heart. And we can put fear. We can put superstition. We can put paranoia and call it discernment. We can put anger. 
we can put all kinds of, you know, all of the, the works of the flesh or the devil's playground. And so we can, we can do that. And oftentimes we get these, these things in our heart that blocks the flow of God to us to heal us, blocks the very healing in a community uh, that will heal us, and blocks the love of those in our family and in our, in our inner sphere because it's like hugging a cactus, you know, <laughs> and, you know, it's just really hard to, to hug someone who's prickly. And so people start avoiding and you start distrusting and, you know, and then it goes on. But the Lord has a, a, a cure for this. And he's, he spoke very strongly to me in the last couple years about this, where he told me that he needed to take that stuff out of the cracks in my heart from the trauma that I'd been through as a child and, and different things. And so, um, he needed to take that out. It was like taking bad mortar out of a brick wall. And so he took that out and he says, now you have room in your heart for me to grow the fruit of the spirit. Now, how many of you have ever tried to grow patience without a trial, you know, or a depth of love without a pain, a heartbreak? And so what we need to do is to give the Holy Spirit permission to do what he does best, which is to bring light and truth and life into us so that God will have a garden in our hearts. God will have the fruit that he desires by the Holy Spirit. God can operate the gifts of the Spirit through love because love will grow there, which is a fruit of the Spirit. And so that's, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The, the fruit of the Spirit is listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 for your notes. So we see that Ruth and Naomi has helped each other out of crisis and trauma. Friends can be like Jesus with skin on. One of the biggest dangers when you're going through trauma is to stay self-focused and ingrown and to be consumed by your problems. One of the easiest things, I, I've been in trauma in different times in my life, and it was like a relief to go to work so I could get my mind on somebody else, something else, to do something, to be somewhere, to have an outlet from all of that so that I, I wouldn't have uh, trouble with my emotions and I could stay focused on the things that God was doing for me. And so um, Philippians 4.2, Philippians 4.2, it says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Ruth and Naomi helped each other out of trauma as they cared for one another. You see Naomi being lifted greater and greater in this story into looking out for her, her daughter-in-law and how she was able to come into the ways of God. She knew the redemptive characteristics in her culture and the goodness of God to lead their whole family and help Ruth. And so it's really important that we hang on to that as we go through times of trouble, that we don't just self-preserve, that we don't just prep, that, that we show into the lives of others and that we're aware of other people. And we ask the Lord for more empathy that as, as we go through our trial, that we'll have greater understanding, compassion for others. By God's promises, they found their kin, kinsman redeemer and it all worked out wonderfully. And they manifested this generational blessing. And this is what God wants to do in our lives as well. This is the thing that he wants to do in all of us. 
And I just thank God for his provision that, that he, he continues to bring life and life more abundantly. I want to share with you a joke that I heard not too long ago. It's a joke, so it's not, you know, it's not theology, okay? So this man dies, and there's a committee that's formed in heaven that wants to figure out who deserves to come to heaven. So he comes up to the gate, and they say, okay, have you said the three spiritual laws? And you say, well, as a matter of fact, no, I haven't. I don't even know what that means. And, you know, they're kind of, what? He's, well... Have you been going to church? He says, well, there isn't a church where I'm at. I'm just where there, I don't even, you know, that's not a part of my reality. And no, I don't go to church. And then they're really wondering if he's going to make it. And then the last question, were you good to your wife? Were you kind to your wife? I just threw that in. <laughs> that's obviously, you know, grounds for getting into heaven, right? And he says, no, I wasn't. <laughs> So what makes you think you can come to heaven? And he said, well, you know, it was the man on the middle cross that said I could come. You see, we make it a lot, a lot harder than it is. Jesus has come to give us life and life more abundantly. And it's his opinion that we need to take care of. My friends, if you are struggling with whether you're saved or not, I know that the people that listen to this program are patriots and they love this, this United States. But if you're struggling with whether you're going to be in heaven or hell when you die, you just have to know that if it's okay with Jesus, it's okay. There was a man that was hanging on a cross next to Jesus when he was crucified, and he was a sinner, he was a thief. And he just said, remember me when you're in heaven. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me. And his life is abundant. And so no matter what you think, no matter what your opinion is about what you think or you feel about your um, your current state of affairs, Jesus' blood and his forgiveness is greater still. All you have to do is say yes. You know, it's not what you do in this world, right or wrong. It's who you know. And knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior is the best thing. You can have your heart right now align with the doctrine, with the truth of Jesus Christ, with what she just shared. Just ask Jesus to come in. He'll give you a new beginning. Everyone made mistakes. Every single person has made mistakes. Put it in the past. Put it what we call under the blood. Have eternal life. And let me tell you, you have victory ahead and everything's going to change in your life. Amen. Father God, touch people right now. Yes, heal Lord. them. Yes. Bring them into your kingdom. Let yes, them choose Lord. life. Let them choose yes, it now. You're going to give them victory and a new beginning and a new future. In Jesus' name. So if what you have just heard resonates with you, and if you care and you want to be an unsung hero, I implore you, please take a few seconds to call us today and leave a message with a short prayer for us, because we need to know that you are with us and care enough to be part of the spark with us so that together we can move God to send a great awakening that can reverse the inevitability of God's coming judgment, according to what God spoke in Jeremiah 18, 7, and 8. We believe that if you joined hands with us, together we can save America from certain catastrophic judgment. 
So call now, okay? Dial 360-629-5248. And say a short prayer for us in your message. And leave your phone number too, okay? So one more time, 360-629-5248. Thank you and God bless.